Well, Happy New Year, everyone. All right, so it is the first Sunday of 2023, and it's the first day of 2023. Now, for people like me who get all giddy with excitement about starting new habits on the first day of a brand new week or the very beginning of a new year, this is like the holy grail of habit formation today. It is the first day of the first week of the first month of a brand new year. That's good. Y'all just take all that in for just a moment right there. So let me see if I can say this in a way that is not too confusing. Today is the second time that we've actually been together on the first Sunday of a new year. We were together on the first Sunday of 2022 and then again today. Now, the reason I share that is because over the years, I have usually set aside the first Sunday of a brand new year for the church to be able to look back in praise for what God has done in the previous year, sharing some stats and just sharing stories, and also look forward in faith to where God is going to be leading in the year ahead and usually sharing a theme or a piece of vision for the year ahead. So this year, we are going to do that. It's just going to happen on the 15th of this month as opposed to today. Um, With 2022 ending just several hours ago, we got some key stats that are not quite in at this point. But I can tell you from what I have already received, there is some good stuff that God has done in 2022. So I am excited. You want to be here on the 15th. I'm going to be sharing what God has been doing at Sherwood corporately. But we're also going to be sharing about what God is doing specifically within individual ministries right here. So do not miss it. It's going to be a wonderful time. Now, today, I'm actually going to be sharing some things that God has been teaching in my own personal devotional life as I've been studying First and Second Samuel. Now, I've been spending time devotionally in that area, and the truths that we're going to talk about this morning are those that deal with God's presence and God's activity, patterns in prayer, as well as establishing a key pattern that is essential for the person who desires to abide in Christ. Now, I'm going to warn you from the very beginning. Today's message is not neatly packaged with three points in a poem. Today's message is kind of like an ongoing rolling train of thought. I'm going to be sharing some key moments in the lives of King Saul as well as King David. And I'm going to ask some questions that I am praying. I am praying And I'm going to ask you to pray for this in just a moment. I am praying that God will use to create a divine disturbance in our conscience. I'm praying that he would get all up in our spirit, in our heart, that he would cause us to stop and say, based on that question, what does that look like in my life moving forward from this point forward? I'm praying God is going to do a work here. So this message is going to be foundational. It's not only foundational just for a Christian's life and journey. It's also going to be a message that feeds directly in to the message that Vance Pittman is going to be sharing this next Sunday. I am thrilled. I'm excited that Vance is going to be with us. I have asked him to speak specifically on the kingdom of God. I can tell you without a doubt, there is no other person I have ever heard teach or preach on the subject of God's kingdom that has done it with better clarity, greater passion, and more focus than what Vance Pittman will do. Every time I hear him teach about the kingdom of God, 
I'm ready to like charge hell with a water pistol. I am excited. He is unbelievably gifted, not only as a communicator, but also teaching that particular subject. This message today is also going to tie right into the messages, plural, that Michael Catt is going to be sharing on the 22nd. And I am excited. For those of you who were here this last summer, you know that Michael and Terry were with us. But unfortunately, health prevented Michael from being able to preach on that Sunday. And Ken Bevel got the call about five minutes before the service. So you all be praying for Ken as well as praying for Michael on this. Um, But no, we are excited about Michael and Terry being back home with us, excited about what God is going to bring through that message as well. So you want to be here on each of those Sundays. So without any further ado, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles to a simple passage in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 10. I am speaking this morning on the subject, since God is with me. Since God is with me. 2 Samuel chapter 5, and just reading verse 10. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Let's read it again. David became greater and greater. For the Lord God of hosts was with him. I want to pray, but I'm going to ask you to be praying that God gives you ears to hear what he wants to share out of his word today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may we meet with you clearly in this text. We're asking that your spirit would guide us into truth, using your word to impact your people for your glory. God, We need you to do what we cannot. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last Sunday, we celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And in that message, I shared that the name Emmanuel is about identity and proximity. He is God and he is with us. And both of those are important. We need to know who he is, but we also need to know where he is. He's not just the God of creation past. He is not just the God of the heavens. He is not just the God of our fathers. He is God and he is with us. It is about identity and proximity. Now that same idea is picked up in a different way in our text this morning. 2 Samuel 5.10, let's read it again. It says, David became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts was with him. God was with him him. Now, when the Bible speaks of God being with him, Old Testament context, that is different than what we're talking about, about Jesus being Emmanuel, the incarnation, or about the Holy Spirit being in us, that is the indwelling. There is a difference that's happening, and we're going to come back and bring that out in just a few moments. This phrase in the text, with him, it speaks of in the same direction as possessing or having. That is, God chose David for a very specific task. His task was to lead the nation of Israel. And within this calling also came God's presence, God's protection, God's blessing, God's hand of favor on his life. In other words, God was actively working in David's life, listen, 
as they're going in the same direction. He is fulfilling the calling that God placed on him, walking with God in the same direction. God's presence was with David. Now, I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. As some of you might have heard, one of the topics that I read about and study extensively is that of leadership. Everything is impacted by leadership. And of all the books that I have in my library on the topic, and there's well over 300 books in my library specific to leadership, of all of the books I've read on this topic, one stands out as making one of the greatest impacts in my life. It's actually the book called Spiritual Leadership by Henry and Richard Blackaby. And here's the reason that one stands out. It's not because it shared totally brand new information that none of the other books have shared. There's tons of unbelievable content that is within that book. But there was this one idea that they brought out that I'd never heard anybody else bring out with such clarity. And that is they talked about what I'm going to describe. They didn't call it this. What I'm going to describe as the God factor of leadership. Here's what they basically brought out. When God calls someone to do a task, his presence, his provision, his hand of blessing rests on that person in a way that there's a God factor involved in that person's life. That is, there is an effectiveness, there is an anointing, there is a grace that they have that can only be attributed to the divine favor of God. So what does that look like in a very practical sense? What that means is when God is with someone and God is for someone, their bank account does not determine the call of God on their life because our God owns everything. It means when God is with somebody and when God is for somebody, that means a person's experience, a person's knowledge, a person's gifting does not determine what God can do with their life because we understand we have a God who literally can give wisdom beyond a person's years. We have a God who can cram 50 years of experience into five months if he so chooses. We have a God that according to scripture says his power is made perfect in our weakness. What, what we understand by this is when God is with someone and when God is for someone, the Bible says if God is for them, who can be against them? If he is on our side, if he is leading the show, if he is directing the charge, there is this divine God factor that is involved. And that peace, God's favor, it cannot be earned and it cannot be manipulated. It is either there or either it is absent. Now take that idea and let's think about the presence of God in David's life. Now, I believe I put some of these passages in there, at least the reference, but the first one is going to be over in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. When God chose David from among his brothers to lead the nation, here's what the text says. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily, came vigorously, came powerfully, came strongly. All of those words can be used interchangeably in this moment. From that point, moving forward, we see these incredible moments of doors that God opened, of victories that God brought, of favor that God extended, of connections that only God could have made, of abilities that God has granted 
of wisdom that God has provided. All of those things come out of the fact God was with him. So five verses later, after it says God came mightily upon him, Saul told his servants, I want you to go find somebody who can play some music because he was being tormented by this evil spirit. And it just so happened that one of his servants now says to Saul, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man. I like the fact that got thrown in there as well. He's like, he's a looker. You're going to like this guy. And then it says, and the Lord is with him. How did that servant know the Lord was with him? There was something that had to have stood out that this servant recognized, like something's different, more than just his skill, more than just his ability at war. God is with this guy. So then you go over into what you find a little bit further in 1 Samuel chapter 17, very next chapter. That's the story of Goliath when he is challenging God's people to send out a warrior who would be willing to fight him. And if you'll remember from the story, nobody is volunteering, everybody is running scared, and Goliath just keeps taunting the people of God. When David heard about that, there was a godly agitation that arose in his spirits. In fact, he even says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? God, we see that David is mad. He now goes over to King Saul, and he volunteers to take on the giant, 1 Samuel 17, 32. And then he tells him why he is a good pick for the job. He basically says, when I was out tending my father's sheep, there was a bear and there was a lion that came after the sheep, and I killed both of them. That's a good day attending sheep. But listen to what he says. The same God who delivered me from them will also deliver me from the Goliath. His trust was in God. Now, Saul gives him the green light, but he also wants to give him his armor. The armor is too big. It's clumsy. It doesn't fit right. And what we find there is there's a ton of lessons that you could learn in this one section about the fact you need to be who God made you to be. That is, if God wanted two of somebody else, he'd have made two of somebody else. Instead, he made one of them, he made one of you. And the God who made you and the God who called you is also wanting you to be you. But that's a whole sermon for another day. So David takes off Saul's armor and he picks up his stick, his sling, and five smooth stones and he approaches Goliath. Well, Goliath gets upset, not because somebody's challenging him, but he's upset about who is challenging him. He feels like it's an insult because he's asking for a warrior and they send out this young guy who's small and looks inexperienced. So he starts to taunt David again. And here's what it says, 1 Samuel 17, 48. David ran, he ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistine. God, give us some runners. Give us some people who when they recognize what God has called them to do, they run to the task. They don't meander to the task. They don't stroll to the task. They don't sit back and watch the task pass them by. They run to the challenge that's before them. Now, here's a side note. When God calls someone and his hand is on that person, and that person is actively trusting that God alone is going to be the one to bring the victory, 
there is a boldness and there is an eagerness to do what others are unwilling to do. The book of Proverbs says the righteous are as bold as lions. Could it be that we have lost our boldness because we have lost our righteousness? Could it be that we are meandering in sin when he's calling us up to the battle line to take on the next giant, to take on the next challenge? And if we're walking close and clean with God, there is a boldness and an eagerness to say, let me after him. God, let let your victory happen in my life today. Now, as many of you know, David ran to the battle line and he put something on Goliath that Ajax couldn't take off. He (laughs) whooped him. He killed him. It, It was so good that he kills the giant, he cuts off his head, and he takes his sword. There is no question about who won that battle. But listen carefully. When God is with someone, and he's taken down the giants of their life, others will notice. And that is both good and bad. If you think that God's presence in your life is going to mean there's no challenges, you did not read your Bible. So in the very next chapter, it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. The very next day, Saul hurls two spears at David trying to kill him. David escapes. The very next verse, 1 Samuel 18, 12 says, Now Saul was afraid of David, here it is, for the Lord was with him. Don't think that God's presence in your life is always going to be welcomed and always appreciated by others. Sometimes God's presence in our life only reminds people of the blessings they have forfeited as a result of their own choices. Verses 14 and 15, David was prospering in all of his ways. Here's that phrase, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. At the end of the chapter, verses 28 and 29, it says, When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, Saul was even more afraid of David. Are you noticing the tailspin of emotions that Saul is walking through? Saul moved from being angry about David to suspicious of David to afraid of David to dreading David to now being even more afraid of David. And all along the way, it tells us why he's getting more and more upset. And it also tells us why David was prospering. It says in verse 12, for the Lord was with him. Verse 14, for the Lord was with him. Verse 28, the Lord was with David. Now go back to our main text, 2 Samuel 5.10. David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Whatever greatness... David had, whatever success David achieved in battle, whatever favor he experienced with people and as king, it is because God was with him. God did not have to call him. God did not have to use him. God did not have to position him where he placed him. 
God did not have to open the doors that he opened. God did not have to give him access into Saul's court. God didn't have to do any of those things, yet he chose to do that. God's presence makes the difference. God's presence makes the difference. Now, let's connect all of that back to a New Testament context. You and I live on this side of the cross. In an Old Testament context, God was with his people, but there was still this type of separation that occurred. Uh, there were limitations as to how far people could go into his presence and who could go into his presence. So, for example, when he gave the instructions about building the tabernacle as well as the temple, he basically lays out these specific barriers. He tells them who can come and how they come and when they come. And not everybody could come. There was a division. Yes, he was among his people, but there was that separation that was still there. But when Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us, it's a different type of him being with us. He walked with humanity. He experienced life like what we do, yet without sin. He was tempted like us. He experienced hunger like us. He, he felt the pain of loss like us. People could touch him and they could see him and they could sit with him. It was a totally different type of him being with us. But listen. On the cross, right after he dies, the Bible tells us that that veil in the temple, it was torn in two from top to bottom. There is now that peace that separated God's people from God's presence that has now been eliminated, it's now been removed. And so here it is, it gets even better. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, before all of that happened, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you. There it is, with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you will know him because he abides with you and will be in you. It doesn't get any closer than God living in us. Okay. I'm about to have a spell. Somebody told me last week if I took off running, they'd join me. I hope you got your running shoes on. Okay. So, listen, if there has been a time in your life that you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, if there's been a time in your life you have been born again, listen, God is not only with you, he is in you. As a Christian, our question is not, is God with me? He says in the text, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And because you and I have been called by God and saved by God and indwelt by God, you and I get a chance to experience the blessings and the favor and the protection that is ours because of Christ. That is incredible for us. Praise God for what he has done. That's the reason the title of this message is Since God is with me. In other words, if you're a follower of Christ, it's not, is he, but since he. The, the issue is, how would our life look different if we consciously lived with an awareness of the presence of God? How would our prayer life be different if instead of us just creating our own list and asking God to bless it, we begin by saying, God, since you're with me, you already know what's happening. What's on your heart that's not yet on mine? How would it change things 
If you look at the challenges of your life, you look at what's happening in family, look at what's happening in finances, look at what happens in your career, how would it change things if we lived with the conscious awareness, God is with me, he's for me, that it would change different things. So as I've been processing this over the last couple of weeks, there's two different questions that God has been searing into my mind. Question number one, since God is with me, what am I relying on instead of him? What am I relying on instead of him? Am I relying on my understanding or am I relying on him? Because if he's with me, he knows what I don't know. He sees what I don't see. He has wisdom that I cannot even fathom. Why in the world would I want to rely on my own understanding if God is with me? If God is with me, what am I relying on? Am I I determining what God can do in my life based on my bank account? That's going to have some limitations. Or am I looking at this and saying, God, since you're with me, I'm going to ask you to lay your vision, your heart, your dreams into me. How would that change things? What would that look like if people began to pray from the perspective of since he's with me as opposed to God, would you be with me? The second question is since God is with me, how can I consciously live in his presence? Now, if I'm being honest, I have a horrible memory when it comes to God's promises and God's blessings. Mentally, I know the right answers, but in the moment, I find that knowing the right answers does not always equate to living the right answers. When facing challenges, many times I find myself being reactionary and being impulsive. I I go into fix-it mode instead of abiding mode. I I look at what I can do or, or what I have done or what experience has taught me instead of immediately taking those things back into the presence of God and saying, God, how do I consciously bring this situation into the awareness that you are with me, that you are for me? I find myself many times if I'm not careful, asking God to bless, asking God to be with me, as opposed to simply recognizing he is already there. So my question is, since God is with me, how can I consciously live in his presence? How do I I wake up moment by moment recognizing the presence of God? Now, I've been processing these questions, and as I was doing that, I noticed this pattern that, found, that I found in David's life. In fact, this is one of those things where David was consciously working these things out in the presence of God. You can see it in our primary text in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now just go down and look at verses 19 and 20. I, I want to read the text and I'll show you the pattern. Then David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perazim and defeated them there and said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Now listen, I am not saying that David always acted in a way that was honoring to God. I'm not saying he always approached every situation according to what we just see in this text. But what I can tell you 
is there's enough of a pattern in David's life that I'm about to share that you can clearly discern a pattern in how he operated in the presence of God. Here's the biblical pattern that we see from David's life. Prayer, answer, action, praise. Prayer, answer, action, praise. Prayer, answer, action, praise. That is, before he did something, he prayed. After praying, he waited for God's answer. When God answered, he acted upon what God said. And when God accomplished the work, he praised God for what God did. Prayer, answer, action, praise. Now you can see that exact same pattern, 1 Samuel 23, 1 Samuel 30, 2 Samuel 2, 2 Samuel 12, and also again, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now sometimes what you'll find is the praise happened immediately like what it did in this text. Sometimes it's several verses later. And then there's other times that the praise is all the way over in the book of Psalms. And it's kind of like this is his praise based upon this story back over here. So here's what you notice. For all of David's faults, and he had a lot, you probably don't find a better biblical character of somebody who just kept bringing the praise back to God. God would do the work, and he would bring the praise to God. Now, so what's the biblical pattern we see? Prayer, answer, action, praise. Now, here's the pattern that we follow sometimes. I call it the impulsive pattern. Action, problem. Prayer, corrective answer, harder action, exhausted praise. All right, let's work that out. We do something without praying. We get ourselves into trouble, usually compounding the problems. And our prayer time is out of desperation and out of pain. We're like, God, just get us out of this. But since we jumped into it ahead of God's activity, God's answer is no longer just prescriptive. Now it's also corrective. He will teach us a lesson so that we don't end up in the same place again. So those lessons often make the action steps harder. So now you go through, you got to address other issues that were not issues prior to you acting when you shouldn't have acted. Now you have to make things right. Now you need to apologize sometimes before you can do the initial thing that God was directing you to do. And by the time it's done, we're exhausted and our praise reflects that. You're like, well, I don't always do that. No, we don't always do that. Sometimes we try to merge the two. I'm going to call this the presumptive pattern. That happens when we start right and then get off course fast. We start in prayer, and then we move to presumption. We don't wait for God to speak. We get impatient, and we do what we think God would have us to do, and yet we're dead wrong, which now leads to problem, more prayer, Corrective answer, harder action, exhausted praise. Did you know you can find that exact pattern in King Saul's life? 1 Samuel 13, 1 Samuel 14, 1 Samuel 28, same pattern. Now let me give you some variations of the biblical pattern. Now this is just for fun and games, but I want you to know about it. Sometimes it is prayer, answer, inaction. We pray... God answers, we just don't like what he had to say. So we don't do anything. You know what happens when you don't obey God? 
Problems are waiting on the other side. But you can now complete the rest of it from there. Here's another variation of that. That is, we start in prayer, God answers, we act, and here it is, and then we try to steal God's glory. In that situation, we're praying, God's answering, but then we get enamored by us in the process, and we try to take the credit for what God did in that moment, which guess what? He will take you to the woodshed again. Some people are like, I feel like God is against me. No, the loving hand, the corrective hand of your heavenly Father many times keeps slapping the thing you're grabbing instead of the hand of God. And we get upset saying, God, stop slapping my hands. Like, well, keep, stop holding on to stuff you shouldn't hold on to. Here it is. Prayer. Answer. Action. Praise. That's a biblical pattern. For just a moment, I want you to bring all these pieces together with where we are first Sunday of a brand new year. As people enter into a time, where they are praying for their families. They're praying over their lives. They're praying over their jobs. They're praying over their finances. They're they're setting new goals. They're desiring new habits. I want to encourage you. Pray a biblical pattern. Prayer. Answer. Action. Praise. I want to encourage you, if you have a prayer notebook or a prayer journal, I want to encourage you, write those four pieces up at the top. Prayer, answer, action, praise. I want to encourage you to write somewhere within your devotional life, somewhere within Scripture, write the phrase, since God is with me. That that one piece begins to change the way we engage God in prayer. So somebody might say, but I I don't know what that looks like. I don't understand what it looks like to sit in the presence of God. Here's what I would say. Start with those two questions that I just mentioned a moment ago. Since God is with me, what am I relying on instead of God? If you ask God that question, he will answer. He will show you exactly the things you're holding on to apart from him. Also, ask the question, how can I consciously live in the presence of God? That is That is so important. There should be something that is unique and different about the person who is indwelt by God, that God is with them and God is for them. Start everything in prayer. Wait for God to answer. Obey what God tells you. Praise God for what he's doing. What a simple pattern that can make a world of difference. So as we close, here's just a couple of thoughts. How many pitfalls could we avoid if we followed that pattern? How many difficult moments would we miss if we just waited for God's answer instead of presuming we know what's the best thing? How many God stories are we forfeiting by prayerlessness and disobedience? Take time to sit with some of these ideas. Could you imagine what would happen if several thousand people in Albany began to pray with prayer, answer, action, praise. Could you imagine what it would do in families? Could you imagine how that would reinvigorate the spiritual lives of people 
who many times they feel like they're getting beaten up day after day. And yet when they bring it to God and God gives the answer and they act and God does something miraculous, think of what that does. Like God is actively at work in our lives. Could you imagine the, the worship services? Could you imagine what would happen if there's people who they're not coming to church to worship, they're bringing their worship to church. And, and they're, they're not having to go back 30 years in their life and say, I remember that time when I was a kid and God did this. But they are coming in saying, I cannot wait to praise him because this is how I've prayed. This is how God answered. This is what he told me to do. And this is what God did on my behalf. Could you imagine what would happen in our worship services? Listen, revival would break out in God's church. It's not that we are manipulating something. It's not that we're trying to drum it up. It's simply that we are positioning ourselves back before the presence of God and trusting that he alone can do what we cannot do. Since God is with us, how should our lives look different? I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for prayer. As we close and just kind of processing again what's happened as far as within the message, what's happening for the year ahead, with heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. I am going to encourage you today that if you're trying to set any goals, if you're trying to set any habits, if you're asking God to do something in your life, I would encourage you, follow a very simple biblical pattern. I want to encourage you, sit with God and ask the hard questions. How should our lives be different because he is with us and he's for us? I want to encourage you at the same time, as you're sitting in the presence of God, let him begin to set the agenda for your life. Let him begin to fill out your prayer sheet. Let God be the one to lead and to do the work. There might be people in the room right now that everything I'm saying might sound great, but they've not taken that first step. At one point in the message, I said, if you have repented of your sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, then he is with you and he is for you. But you might not have had that moment in your life. I cannot encourage you enough. If there is a desire in your heart to be in right relationship with God, Make today the day that that is taken care of. There's going to be pastors and some of our pastor's wives that will be at the front. There will be some different counselors that are going to be along the walls. There are people who want to pray with you. There are people who are willing to answer questions that you might have. Our desire is, again, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We are desiring that God does an incredible work in your life. So we're going to have a word of prayer. We'll sing a final song of invitation, and then the altar is going to be open. However, we can help you. If you're looking for a church home, if you just need prayer, if you need to know how it is that you can have a relationship with God, if you need to be baptized, whatever it might be, we're going to encourage you to come. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the fact that you are with us and you are for us. God, may our hearts and our minds live in the conscious awareness of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?